so sometimes it, it feels good to know that other people are also human mm. and know that they you know they do have their pains um but just seeing everybody go through the same thing i don't know you just you get a certain kind of like respect towards one another another one, another one baby welcome welcome to Alright folks, uh, welcome to the podcast. My name is Hans, I'm your host and I'm guessing that you tuned into this podcast because someone sent you a link because you're interested in doing the Everest trail race in 2020, 2021, who knows, or you're just interested in hearing about about the race from the inside and that's uh, exactly what this episode is about. I brought the mic- my microphone to my tent and I interviewed my tent roommate Roland Hazer and uh, another guy called uh, Adam and we uh, pretty much just uh, did debriefs from from the race every single day or every other day and the last day we did a full recap of the whole race so um, if, if you're uh, interested in doing the race this episode is perfect for you seriously perfect and uh let me just say that uh, i'm going to continue this intro in norwegian so if you want to listen to this uh, podcast without uh, being distracted by 15 minutes of me talking in norwegian you can skip ahead 15 minutes uh, and uh, that's when the episode really starts so uh, yeah enjoy guys and uh, now i'm gonna switch over to my native language Norwegian. Okej, okay, folkens. <laughs> Välkommen till dagens episode. Ufattelig stas och kunna presentera den här episoden här till till docker. Nu är er till docker som har följt med på hela resan så är er jag nu tillbaka i Norge. Hur sjukt är er inte det? Det är er sjukt hur långt och fort ett fly <laughs> kan ta det. Um, ja. Ja, folkens Nepal, det är er lite av ett land och det hörte docker i förra episoden. Och um, den här episoden, den är er ju nämnde det kanske sist också och det är er ju det är er ju um, det var er en debrief episode av Everest Trail Race som nu är er tre veckor sedan jag gjorde. Min, mitt livsbragd, min bästa prestation på <laughs> i löpinga så det är er ju dritfett og, men alltså prestation är er ju en ting men det handlar ju inte om det folkens det hör docker då kommer docker att höra i i den episoden här och han är delt i tält det är er det som är er grejen med 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 sån här typ av er att det var det var tält på stationen vi sprang ju sex dagar 
Och jag delte telt med en som heter Roland. Roland Hazer och um, vi gjorde inspelningen tre gånger. Vi spelade vi spelade inte en några grejer varje ens dag. Vi jag tror egentligen det var för att vi var så ofatteligt sliten. Så det blev att dag 1, dag 3 och efter målgång på dag 6. Och sista eh, sista inspelning den gjorde vi med en amerikaner som heter Adam och det var han du hört i introen. Eh, ska vi se här nu. Det är er ett par ting jag måste se si för för vi startar. Och det första det är er att eh, jag var med i en podcast igår som var ska vi se här nu. Det var måndag den 2 december. Vi är er i december folkens. Det är er snart jul. Det är er snart jul. Jag var med i en podcast igår och den podcasten heter Fight Night Oslo. Och för er som har följt lite med så är er det min andra gång i den podcasten. Och den podcasten den drivs av han Bilal som docker kanske också känner från podcasten. Han var med. Han har varit med tror jag tre episoder. För han löper ju Tromsø Sky Race tidigare I, I år. så nu var jag tillbaka i podcasten och prata om egentligen de sista två åren av livet mitt som har varit ganska ganska sjuke. så och i tillägg då så går jag skickligt i dybden på Everest Trail Race. Och där kommer dock säkert att tänka lite över att är inte gå en sån personlig race debrief fra från löpet i den episoden här. Och jag kan se si det att det är er för att jag klarar inte och ordlägger mig i en typ monolog som beskriver kursen det löpet där var. Jag bara klarar klarar det inte. så jag droppar det. Jag har men det är er så pass kolossalt och ja, jag är er inte så flink med ord att jag klarar och förklara det. Så Eh, då lade det egentligen bara vara och så kan docker ta och visst docker har tänkt att göra Everest Trail Race en eller annan gång eller för exempel göra ett annat etappelopp eh, så kan docker höra den episoden här. Docker kan höra den den episoden jag gjorde med Sondra Amdal och hon Elizabeth Barnes eh, som var ett par episoder sedan. Och så kan docker höra den här Fight Night Oslo eh, episoden fordi vi pratar nästan. Vi stöker verkligen inte er upptatt av fighting, så kan jag säga si att vi pratar nästan ingenting om fighting. Vi pratar nästan kun om <laughs> mig och mitt liv. Så eh, den episoden den tror jag blir gitt ut tisdag eh, 3 december som är er idag. Och den eh, ja. Så då ta och vi stöker blir gira på ett tappelöp och vill höra lite om min upplevelse från Nepal. Eh, ta tune in till Fight Night Oslo. Okej. Okay. Eh, aktuellt. Jag kom ju hem tidigare från Nepal för att vara konferensier på den här Arcteryx Academy eventen som var i Oslo på Vippa. På Vippetangen i Oslo. och det det gick dritbra folkens och det var stinnbracke då då vi visste fram den här besatt dokumentaren. Besatt som är er den här dokumentaren om då Johannes Rumelhoff löp från operataket till Gardopeggen. Och den har dock hört mig preke ofatteligt mycket om. men det jeg, det jag vill säga si är att det är er väldigt många som spör när blir den 
den filmen här tillgänglig på internet. Och jag har snackat lite med med alla involverade för det är er ju inte jag som har lagat filmen alena. Jag har bara varit en bricka så jag kan inte ta någon valg på vägna av andra och det här är er en avgörelse som vi har tagit samman. Och den är er det att den här filmen den kommer aldrig till att bli gitt ut på nät. Rätt och slett. Den kommer aldrig till att bli gitt ut på Youtube gratis. Kanske vi ger ut på Vimeo on demand, men eh så tänker vi kun och turnera runt och visa den live. För då är det enda måten att också kan få en onklig upplevelse av eh, av hela upplägget för då får du då får du snacka med Johannes efter efter du har sett filmen. Du får spurt alla som var i crew om alla frågor du lurer på. Och vi är er mer komfortabla med att visa filmen fram på den måten. Så jag hoppas ni respekterar det valget och så kan ni hvis du känner någon eller du äger eller har möjlighet till att visa filmen på en svår scen eller ett eller annat klubbhus, jag vet inte, men det er bara ta kontakt och så 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 kanske vi kommer hem till dig, hem till dig. det er bara att betala betala resan och så och upphålla och kanske lite till. <laughs> men ja, så det då är er det sagt. Besatt. Vi kommer till dig. bara ta kontakt. Ska vi se här nu. nästa episode, den är er, det kommer till att bli med han David Nei, skal si, han Mingma David Sherpa. Så då kan jag kanske se någon bilder av posta. Men den episoden den blir nice och eller kanske inte det blir nästa nästa episode. Det blir ju faktiskt den ska i alla fall recorda med han Thomas Stordalen nästa vecka. Den här jättegoda kompisen men han är er, er faktiskt en av mina bästa vänner. Vill jag se. Si, han är er, han är er, han är er en av mina bästa bästa vänner. Och vi ska mötas eh, inte i Studio Disney, men vi ska mötas på på sköjen i ett eller annat eh, sterilt kontorlokale och så ska vi pröva och genskapa stämningen som var i Studio Disney i fjor för nästan nyaktigt ett år sedan. Då Thomas öppnade sig upp och eh, lagde en legendarisk podcast. Vi ska också uppsummera löpeåret 2019 i den podcasten och jag postade nettop en post på patreon.com/alvorpodcast där är ba docker mina patreons och andra lyssnare om hjälp för det är det är er lite av en jobb det är er det är er en stor jobb att finna fram till alla som vant ett löp i fjor. men det är er inte alla dem som vant ett löp som har gjort de mest fantastiska eh, kan man ska se si, bragdan då. Eh, jag tror det är er dem som har de bästa historien som som eh, borde bli tagd upp i eh, i podcasten. För exempel dem som har offrat mest för att för att få till det de har fått till och då kan det vara en bara en fullförelse av ett ultralopp eller för exempel Karsten Warholm då. Han är er också vi måste prata om han men och alla de andra Ingebrigtsen guttan och Norsta Moen och alla alla som vi känner från ultralöpet sen, ikvant så. för exempel han Halvar Sjölberg. Legendarisk kis, har gjort sjuka ting. 
Och så ja, det är er väldigt mycket att prata om. Så ta och gå in på patreon.com/alvorpodcast och så har jag gjort den här posten här. Den är er öppen till alla, inte bara dem som stöttar mig på Patreon, men alla kan komma in och kommentera. Så jag vill jag vill att er hjälpa mig med och på något sätt inte glömma någon. Jag vill att den här episoden och de uppramsingen som vi gör, det ska vara så representabelt som överhode möjligt för de bästa och mest spektakulära bragdan i löpeåret i Norge 2019. Så hjälp mig med det folkens och när jag när jag är er inne på Patreon tema, då har jag hört mig snacka om Patreon ganska mycket och eh jag mötte en en Patreon inne på på Vippa på Arkteriksgiggen på på lördag. Och eh jag kan se si att när jag möter Patreons det är er rör rörandes det är er liksom här äkta äkta möte jag vet inte hur jag ska med det här då men jag måste bara jag huskar jag måste verkligen bara snar si skickelig tack till hon hon Reidun som hon heter hon har varit med mig sedan nästan starten och det är er docker Patreon som får det här att gå runt det er dokker som gör att uh, såna episoder som det här kan bli till. Och jag ska inte be flera om att bli Patreon, dokker får välja helt själv, men uh, jag vill bara göra det klinken är klart att den den chappa här, den går kund runt med hjälp av dokker. Uh, så um, så ta och checka ut patreon.com/allvarpodcast och så kan dokker chippa in hvis dokker gira. Och uh, ja, jag tror egentligen jag har sagt uh, det mesta nog folkens nu går vi in i i december eh, ja vi närmar oss jul kanske många har lite offseason jag har varit lite offseason gör lite andra ting eh, det är er, selom selom det inte har blivit recorded eller ska vi säga si det har inte blivit publicerat en podcast på en stund nu kanske det var förra helg så Kan, det kan gå att det inte blir publicerat en episode till helga. Och det kan jag egentligen garantera. Det kommer ingen episode till helga. Det här blir ukas episode och det är er för att jag har ett föredrag jag måste hålla på fredag som kommer att ta en del tid och så får jag ja, det är er det personliga grejer få besök och ja, det blir det blir nog att göra den uka här så eh dock förvänta till till helga efter och till helga efter då har jag också recordat podcast med han Thomas och jag har också recordat podcast med ho Kristin nej ho Kristine som kanske dock huskar episoden med ho som gick skulle gå Pacific Crest Trail den här stien från Mexiko till Kanada. Jag ska möta ho nästa fredag och så ska vi snacka om hur det gick för ja ho gick ju nästan hela grejen men hon måste kutta lite på turen och jag lurer lite på kuffer så jag vill det glädjer mig skickligt till så folkens då startar vi den här episoden och så och så måste jag ut Fight Night Oslo du vet check ut Fight Night Oslo och så 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 hoppas jag att höra hela den episoden här för på slutet så kommer det en liten sång som är lagat till dokker ok ha en strålande dag och så snackas vi eh, nästa helg. Okej? Okay? Vi snackas folkens. Ha det. Bitch.
Alright, so how do, we, how, do, how do we do this? Um, I was thinking maybe um, maybe we could do like a, a little recap every day. Yeah, sounds good. Since we're sharing tents. Yep. Um, you tell me about your day, I'll tell you about my day. And yeah, that sounds and, good. And let's kickstart the whole thing. Let's uh, tell the listeners what's going on. Can you, Maybe you can first tell the listeners who you are and what we're doing okay uh i live in england and this is my first everest trail uh, ultra um started this morning a bit of trepidation didn't really know what to expect uh i think when the uh when we set off first thing i think it was quite a lot of energy which you wanted to get rid of and uh, run as fast as you can did you see the Nep- nepalese guy yeah. He ran off like uh, in, in the first minute. He was like a hundred meters ahead of everyone. Yes, I think I, I think I was checking this dust. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, it was, I think it took a while to get used to the markings. Uh, I got lost in the first probably four or five hundred meters from making a silly mistake, and then once you actually get comfortable with the markings, knowing where to look and stuff like that, you actually relax a lot more. You yeah. can enjoy the run to right. know where you're going. Yeah. It's easier when you run with someone. Yeah. But I, I was running with uh, four other guys or three other guys and uh, uh, we got off course two times. And um, it's actually, you're not safe just because you're running with someone else. They they can also Absolutely. run. Yeah. <laughs> well, what we found was after probably about the first three or four K, you get into groups of, sort of similar pace races. So you probably break into groups of five or six. And that actually works quite well because also the faster one is leading. If for any reason they make a mistake and they go off track, the guys behind just shout ahead saying, yeah, right. you missed a turn, yeah. they come back and you're back on course again. And it works quite well. So people, it's very much like, a, I suppose, like a, a road race. You know, you have the paces that take, away, take over for... 500 meters or a kilometer or so when they get tired somebody else takes over uh, pacing and that works really well uh, maybe we should say that uh, we're in the tent this is uh, after day number number one mm-hmm. and the reason there's the noises in the background that people are talking is because we're in camp so this is after day one and uh, maybe um, maybe we can uh, talk about you who are you Okay. Uh, more than your name and age. <laughs> like, uh, where are you from and okay. uh, well, how did you get into running and stuff? I live in uh, Essex, which is in England, uh, which is probably one of the flattest counties in Essex. So not much chance to practice the mountains. Uh, it's a case of running up and down steps a lot. That's what you do? Yeah. yeah. Um, as far as ultra running is concerned, I got into it quite late, probably about five years ago. So I started mid-40s, and um, it went from there, and did a couple of uh, ultra marathons back in the UK, and then I signed up for the Marathon de Sablas, which was a, uh, a pretty well-known race. Yeah, but not everyone knows what it is. Okay, it's a, um, a race across Sahara. It's a multi-stage event, so very similar to Everest Trail Race. How many days? It's seven or eight, it's right? Six, six days. I, think it's, uh, I need to double-check, but I think it's about six days or so. But the seventh day is like a... A rest day. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, in effect, it's, if you average out, it's a marathon a day for six days. Um, and you have one long stage in the middle. 
And I think the issue is, again, your self-sufficiency. You're, uh, you're camping each night in a bivouac. So it's keeping, obviously, hygiene, cooking, taking all your own food. They supply water uh, and bivouacs, but besides that, everything else you carry. So you've got the distance you can attend uh, with and also the weather, which uh, at night can drop down to not much above freezing. And obviously during the day you can get up to probably 35, 36, maybe even higher. I think, I think the hottest day when we were there was about 42 centigrade. So that has its own challenges. Well, yeah. But it, it's superb. The people you meet are, are great. Uh, it's a stay. Can't recommend it enough. But there's a lot more people, right? It's, it's, a, uh, it's about the year I did mine back in 2016. And that year you had about 1,400 people. Yeah. Compared to average trail race, which is 51? 51. 15. I yeah. think we had a couple of dropouts. Did it? No, before the race started through injuries and stuff. Okay, okay. So we're about 50. Yeah, about yeah. 50, yeah. I think, give or take. So it's much more intimate. Uh, obviously... When you have breakfast, when you have dinner, you're all sitting down as a group, uh, which is great. There's all different nationalities here. A lot of Spanish, a lot of Argentinians. Uh, but you've got Algerians, guys from France, from the US, from Norway. Yeah. Uh, Nepal. Nepal. So it's, it's a real melting pot. And again, you know, very, very sort of similar outlooks. And it's a really nice environment. Uh, maybe we can talk about like the nitty gritty stuff about the race. Um, I mean, we only we have only done one stage so yeah. far, but um, I think a lot of people would like to know, like, what's it like at camp? What what do we get? What kind of food do we get? Do we get? Uh, what are the tents like? Um, and how cold does it get? Yeah, like small details like that. I mean, it's interesting because I didn't have a faintest idea what to expect when I arrived, so. We flew into uh, Kathmandu and then basically it was about a nine-hour um, sort of coach journey. Uh, yeah, because you, you, you uh, went for the full package. Yeah. So you, because uh, you can actually, uh, with that package, you get a flight from the you UK. You get a flight, so you get the first couple of nights of accommodation in Kathmandu uh, and then you get the transfer, which um, in itself is an adventure. Yeah. Uh, it's nine hours on a local bus. Yeah, so yesterday we, we uh, went for a super long and cool bus ride. Yeah. Uh, nine hours of uh, a full-blown core workout, I would say, on dirt roads and just like, uh, yeah. River impulse. crossings. Yeah. It was, yeah, that in itself was the, was the holiday. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so we arrive at the camp. Again, didn't know what to expect. Uh, but in effect, uh, you're sharing a two-man tent. Um, they're, I think, North Face tents, which... Yeah, the classic yellow big dome tents Absolutely. for two people. Uh, we get some mattresses, which are quite comfy. Mattresses are superb. Yeah, uh, Really good with the uh, stop of heat leaching. And I think it, it's one of the situations people are always unsure about how cold it will be uh, in the evenings. So you see a, a huge spectrum of what people bring from uh, sleeping bags to uh, down trousers, to jackets to hoods, balaclavas, the whole literally have the whole spectrum here I think last night was interesting where I think a lot of people uh, probably bought too much for the first night and I know for myself personally I spent the first three hours actually undressing as the night progressed because it was getting too hot Yeah. and then as dawn was breaking I started putting clothes back on because it was getting cold <laughs> uh, so the only thing I would recommend for me personally is decent gloves decent slippers uh, or hot socks 
and a decent hat. So if your feet are warm, your hands are warm and your head's warm, most other things will tend to keep warm as well. Yeah, and a decent sleeping bag, right? And a decent sleeping bag, yeah. yeah. So worst case, if uh, you don't have cold or warm uh, slippers or warm a warm hat, you can just slip into the sleeping bag, which is should be warm, right? Yeah, I mean, sleeping bag I bought long, I think it... Uh, I think it's a comfort down to about minus 11, um, which I think would be more than enough for this sort of event. Yeah. And again, it all, all comes down to layers. Um, you know, always take layers. So if you're too hot, you can take them off. If you're cold, you can put something on. It is very unpleasant if you're cold. Yeah. So for me, uh, I, I tend to pack heavy. But I like my creature comforts. Uh, it's all down to personal choice, and you just need to practice with what you want to bring and make sure it all works. Yeah, there was a minimum requirement of 3.5 kilos, right? Yeah. Uh, without seven. without uh, food and uh, and drinks, so yeah. just the equipment. Mine was 3.68, and yours was uh, 6.3. Okay. But I again, I like creature comforts. I bought a I bought a phone. I bought a, a battery charger which in itself weighs about, I think, 650 grams. So by the time, you know, you take into account non-essentials, I could probably bring my backpack down by another kilo. Yeah. But for me, it's, it's, a, it's a conscious choice that I like my comforts. And um, today during the, during the first stage, um, we got served... With, there were two, two stations, yep. two aid stations, and... We actually were forced to take water. Yeah. They, uh, they actually, we get this um, small little uh, badge which they uh, they clip. They clip every time <laughs> you're getting cramps. Yeah, cramps. Yeah. <laughs> they, uh, yeah, they clip. Uh, how, how do you? Uh, how would it's you? Like, it's like a little uh, card which basically monitors, obviously, that you go through the checkpoints. Um, it monitors how much water you have, and also monitors the gels and uh, supplements you have. So it's one of those, uh, I think for most of the ultra marathons, you've got to check, obviously you go to the checkpoint, they confirm that you've been through there, but for this race especially, it also confirms the amount of water they give you. Whether yeah, you use it or not, it's up to you. Because it's super important now that we're, on, we're in the altitude. Yeah. That's why they, they, uh, they force it upon us, yes. right, to take the water, because uh, staying hydrated is super important. Yes. How, how's your cramps? Uh... First time it hurts, but again, all I can do is compare it to when I did Mountain Cybers, and it's uh, a lot less than that. So. Okay. Uh, how would you compare uh, this race to Mountain Cybers? I mean, we we only done done one stage. Yeah. But um, so far, I think the the idea behind the two events is, is very very similar, but also you're looking at something completely different between cold mountains and hot desert. But uh, I think the biggest difference, I think, is just the feel of the event. Uh, Marathon Sabers is, it, it's just huge. Uh, I mean, the uh, admin, the bureaucracy, I mean, it's, it's brilliant. It's very well handled. And again, I can't recommend it enough. This is a difference. It's just, it's a opposite side of the same coin. This one, I think, is much more intimate. Um, it's nice. You get to know the people. The organisation here is second to none so far. Um, so it's just a great race. Yeah. Uh, what's funny about this is that um, the, the organisers are Spanish. Yeah. And uh, 
that brings also a lot of Spanish runners to the event. And I would say 75% of the runners are Spanish. Uh, which is like um, you travel to Nepal and then you end up doing a race which you feel like you're in you're in Spain it feels like Peña Golosa or some, some other Spanish ultra kind of but you're looking up at 8,000 meter peaks and you know that you're you're not in you're not in Spain but it, yeah also I think one of the differences on this race with Spanish runners um, I think a lot of them are semi-professional professional semi-professional yeah. professional um, I think they are I think there's six Brits here and majority of those we're just doing it fun runners yeah. you know we're keen sportsmen but we're not uh, sponsored I think a lot of the Spanish runners are in teams and uh, I think they take it a lot more seriously competing than I think the rest of the nationalities yeah. what made you sign up for this how did you find out about it and uh, yeah what made you pull the trigger on the <laughs> sign up button uh, a friend basically um, we're just having a chat one day and we were asking you know what next and I said I didn't have a faintest idea what I wanted to do and uh, he how said how about this multi-stage race in Nepal <laughs> it was basically that's how it happened and he's, he sowed the idea and I started thinking about it and I thought yeah why not um, so for me it was a uh, by chance hmm. But really glad I signed up for it. Yeah. So it's uh, it's one of those things where I did uh, the CCC, which is part of the UTMB races. So hundred k's in the in the Alps. Yeah. Yeah, around Mont Blanc. Around Mont Blanc, and uh, for me that was for me personally that was the toughest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, and did you do it this year? No, I did it two years ago. Okay. Okay. And so I had an idea of what mountain racing was all about. Uh, I really enjoyed it, so I thought the combination of mountain running, combination of doing it in Nepal, you know, the draw of potentially seeing Everest as well mm. can't be underestimated. And everybody I've spoken to, or articles I've read about the course, everybody says it's one of the best events they've ever done. Mm. So it it seemed like a good idea, and uh, here I am. Yeah. And I have to admit, so far, I think it's been brilliant. So apart from that, um, who are you? Like, uh, uh, you, you, you're from Essex? Yep. Uh, but uh, you're a family man? Or uh, what's the... <laughs> yeah. How, how, how do you combine uh, running and training with... Uh, I don't know. What's your it, life like back is, home? It's difficult. So uh, <laughs> I, w- I work in London, which is about a about 40-minute commute from uh, my house. Uh, I'm married. Uh, my wife's Maria. She's Colombian. And we have two daughters, uh, 17 and 13. Uh, they're not really into uh, ultra running. Do they understand what you're, what you're doing? They, yeah, they, they've been absolutely brilliant about it. Um, and you can't underestimate the impact it has on family life uh, yeah. and work. Yeah, in a good way or uh, in a negative way? Both. Um, I think in a good way, it gives you a focus, it gives you something to aim for, it keeps you fit on a more of a negative basis is it does impinge on family life because uh, you just put training in it's not one of these events you can turn up at and uh, get the most out of it so a lot of the time I was getting up very early in the mornings and trying to do my training you know, before the, the kids and the family woke up yeah it's probably worse when they were small, right? When it's, when it's small, when they're a little bit older. But you didn't do ultras when they were 
no. babies, right? So. No, that's again, you know, they've sort of grown up with it. I think they think I'm a bit sort of nuts at times. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm going to base that if I'm back in the house by 10 in the morning on a weekend, then that is, that works. But the downside of that, it's getting up at three, four in the morning yeah, yeah. to get out running. When, when people tell you that, that you're nuts, what's your response? Like, uh, why, why, why do you... I think I might have to agree with them. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I can remember when I was training for Marathon Sabres and they recommended that you go running at night because yeah. in the desert you'll be running at night. So, you know, I'm running through the woods at sort of three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and... Uh, You know, it, it's it puts a different sort of uh, uh, reflection on life, and you forget, or you don't actually realise how full of uh, life woods are at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Some of it good, some of it not so good. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's trying to get a happy medium between that, between the training, between family life, and between work, mm. um, and. It it does get difficult, but it's it's trying to keep organized. Yeah, in an ideal world, all those three elements back each other up. So if you're yeah. if you're happy, if you're a happy runner, you'll be a happy dad, and uh, you'll be a happy worker, right? Yeah, and it all supports. I I was quite lucky in the fact my my work um, they're quite a progressive company, and we do a lot of work for charity. So, oh yeah, tell me about that. So, so all yeah. the uh, races I do, uh, we sponsor a different charity each year. So if I'm doing MDS or if I'm doing CCC or on this one, uh, Everest Trail Race, I'll also raise, raise money for charity with work. So work are also quite supportive from that perspective. Mm. And, you know, it kills two birds, one stone. So, you know, I get something else fit, hopefully the charity gets something else fit and, you know, everybody's happy. And uh, this year, uh, what's uh, what's the charity you're running uh, it's for? It's a UK charity. It's uh, Children with Cancer. Children of Cancer. Children with Cancer. Ch- children with Cancer. Yeah. Children with Cancer UK. Um, it's one of the big um, charities. So, if you want to uh, donate, please feel free. Yeah. <laughs> Just find the website. Um, it's a it's a great charity. Um, so it's all the details on the website, but it you know it it does make a difference and. You know, the money raised uh, goes a long, long way. Does it go to science or to uh, making the uh, living with cancer better for the? It, do, it does children? both. It, it sponsors. It sponsors roughly about fifty research projects a year. Okay. Uh, and then also sponsors the, you know, the, the living side of cancer. So terminal stuff. Um, You know, silly things. You know, if families come down and need accommodation, yeah, uh, it helps out with that. So it's the full spectrum. Mm. Um, so you know, it's these days. You know, it's so important to try and help out if you can. And uh, how much money have you raised for this uh, event? So far, I think last month's check was about uh, about six thousand pounds. So um, yeah, it all helps. Yeah. But I know it, on this event you get tracks. I think you've got satellite tracking. Yeah, and uh, one of the guys at work has agreed to look on the website and basically send out sort of you know, daily updates and hopefully try and raise some money again nice. one more way. So I think if people see me suffer, they may yeah. uh, <laughs> they may uh, throw a few pennies my way. So if you're if you're struggling out there on the trails, that's your kind of that's your why. Yeah. That's that's the uh, the reason you will uh, 
go deep down to the pain cave and finish, yeah, right? It, it helps motivation. Uh, I mean, from, from my perspective, uh, every family's been affected by cancer in some form or another. So, it's, you know, it's a big, big motivational thing for me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if it does help, and there are times where <laughs> you do question your sanity. So, uh, if you think about it, and for me, if I'm running... You know, the three things that keep me going. One, um, I think of my kids and my wife, and hopefully, you know, they're sort of uh, looking on satellite tracking as well, and I don't sort of disappoint them. Secondly, the charity, you know, you can't give up, you, mm. you've got to finish it wherever it happens. And all else fails, I'll put some music on. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, see if that works. Yeah. So, what kind of music do you listen to when you're on oh, the trails? Absolutely, absolutely everything. Yeah. You know, uh, everything from you know electronic to heavy metal to I don't know Dean Marsh and Frank Sinatra, whatever, yeah. whatever I've got on the iPod at the time. I I, I pulled out my old iPod Shuffle yeah. for the for this event. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I. I uh, have downloaded a lot of mixtapes yep. because um, songs that last three minutes, uh, I think it's too easy to skip each song because you're like, ah, I'll listen to the next one, yep. ah, next one. But if you if you put on a mixtape, yep. you know that the the one song that you really like is like 40 minutes down the road. Yep. So you ha- you have to listen to everything, yep. and that's perfect for ultras. And also, it acts as, you know, you get one song, yeah, everyone's favorite songs, and I got a lot of songs which through the hours and hours and hours of training you find it quite motivational yeah so suddenly if you're going through a bit of a sort of uh, you know, dark patch and that song that song comes on you're completely uplifted yeah. and that's yeah. you know, it does carry you through yeah. and that makes you know you can't underestimate the importance of music the other things where I discovered which was uh, audiobooks yeah and again probably more for for the training than for an event like this just listen to audiobooks uh, you know it's great it takes your mind off uh, a lot of the hours you're putting in and you know they're great some people uh, what they call themselves purists they would be um, uh, they look down on people using music and audiobooks yeah. uh, as a utility to, to get themselves out the door yeah. um, what do you think of those people everybody's different so you know I can see what they mean, um, but I think you, you're going to play to your own strengths at the, at the end of the day. And sometimes it is difficult to get the motivation. Sometimes you are going through dark spots. If the music helps, I think you should do it. Mm. Uh, but everybody's an individual. I don't think anybody can charge anybody else. Okay, so um, today we're done the first stage. We have five more stages. Yeah. Uh, we ran about 25 kilometers and a about 2,000 meters of elevation gain, right? Yeah, I think, yeah. I think it's... Something like that, yeah. yeah. Uh, tomorrow is um, is kind of like, yeah, we have the road book here and um, uh, today was the profile of the of the stage was, uh, we ran up one kilometer and then down about uh, a <laughs> yeah. thousand vertical meters. And then, so in it was like summary, a... It was 24.9 kilometers in length Vertical gain was 1.877 kilometers. Vertical descent was 1.748 kilometers. Complete differential in height combined, about 3.625 kilometers. So uh, a nice, nice introduction to the event. Yeah. And tomorrow, I think, is one of the stronger climb days. 
Yeah, we're starting. It's a brutal start, right? Yeah, so I think it's about 26 kilometers in length, so pretty similar. But I think you have about 1.9 vertical gain. That's about, it's pretty similar, actually. actually not too actually, bad. Yeah. But, but, th- but the profile is totally different. Yeah. Today we started with a, just an <laughs> endless downhill, uh, and tomorrow we're going to start with an endless uphill. Also, right? changing height, I think, is different. Uh, we're starting tomorrow at about just an, around 3,000 metres, going up to about 4,100 metres. So I think we hit the highest point in the race uh, tomorrow morning. It's called uh, Pique Peak. Yeah, Pike Peak. Yeah, in, in English, it's in English. Pike, yeah. <laughs> yeah. almost Pike's Peak. Yeah. Yeah, have you heard of that? The Pike's Peak uh, Marathon? No, I haven't. Not in the it. US? Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a race of two halves, as I say. First half is, in effect, ascent, and you have a, another small descent, uh, moderate ascent, and then it's virtually downhill again all the way. And... Uh, I must admit, from my perspective, the downhills are brutal. Yeah, especially with a, a heavy backpack. I was yeah. feeling it in my quads today. Yeah, it, again, it's, it's different races. Uh, some people are downhill specialists. Some people are uphill specialists. Some are just good at both. Yeah. Uh, for me personally, the uphills I can just grind out. It's not really an issue. The downhills, though, are... Uh, I feel like I'm stuck in sort of a syrup mm. as everybody else is running past mm. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, again, you play to your strengths. Yeah. And uh, I can tell the listeners that um, I came fourth today. And um, number two, his name is Miguel. I can't remember his last name. Uh, he's, uh, he's a pretty good runner. Um, <coughs> he's, he's done uh, UTMB, I think he was second a couple of years ago. And... He's uh, won Ultra Pyrenees like uh, three times, so he's pretty solid. But he told me in a, in a private conversation that he has uh, a rupture in his calf. So he's, um, I think maybe, if I'm lucky, uh, tomorrow will be a podium, or or in the total. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, anything can happen in these stages. It's six days. Absolutely, I mean, coming fourth is absolutely awesome. Uh, we, we spoke to a couple of the uh, Nepalese runners uh, last night and today. Uh, I think one of the Nepalese runners won it two years ago. Yeah, that's the one that won uh, uh, okay. today's stage. Yeah. And I think the second one came third or second last year, I can't remember the, yeah. the positions. Uh, but these guys are just awesome. Um, the Actually, the other Nepalese guy, I think he was fifth today. So he he, uh, he wasn't as fit as oh, okay. as uh, we thought, or I mean he's fit, but uh, there's hope for us yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it, they are the people here are lovely. You know, the two guys are so modest. That you know, it's a pleasure to be with them to talk to. Yeah. Uh, and you know, there's no. They're just really, really down to earth people. It's yeah. lovely kind of like everyone in Nepal so far I've met I've never met anyone uh, that has a I don't know there are negative no egos or anything no, here no. at all uh, and it, it's just so refreshing especially at the level these guys are at uh, you know they can they can wipe the field easily yeah alright should we uh, maybe hit the, the pause button and continue yep. tomorrow perfect um, alright nice thank you uh, we'll uh, pick it up tomorrow after about 27 case yeah (laughs) and hopefully a good night's sleep and uh, we have some dinner tonight Um, 
yeah, uh, before we uh, stop, I can tell the listeners that uh, if you're considering uh, this race, uh, the food that we get is a uh, classic Nepalese food, and it's uh, it's darbat, which is uh, uh, this um, dal, which is kind of a soup with lentils, uh, rice, and uh, vegetable stew with a lot of potatoes and some beans, normally. And the cur- it's kind of a curry stew. It's lovely, yeah, it's lovely. It's very filling, very tasty. I mean, how they can actually cook literally in the middle of nowhere yeah. for, in effect, the runners or support crew, you're probably looking at, it must be 70 or 80 people. Yeah. And it's like, it's like a field kitchen. It is superb how they do it. Yeah. Never ceases to amaze me. Yeah. All right. Uh, speak to you tomorrow. Bye. All right. We're back in the tent. We... Uh, we actually skipped a day of rec- of uh, recording. Uh, this is day three of the Everest Trail Race, and we are in um, Karikola. Uh, and it's actually a pretty amazing place. This is uh, it's unbelievable, right? It's we're, a we're, monastery. We, it's it's a monastery. It's a Buddhist temple, I would say. Yeah. And we're sleeping on the lawn in front of it, on on a <laughs> literally on the top, literally on the top of a hill. It's yeah. incredible. Right where we, uh, right by the finish line. Yeah, yeah. Which was up about 150 steps, which after 30 kilometers was painful. 30 kilometers and 2,200 meters of uh, climbing. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> All right. So it's day three. Um, I am currently in, I think, number three, uh, the third position. And today I came second, yesterday I came third, and the first day I came fourth. So I'm just climbing. Tomorrow I'll be first. (laughs) And we'll all stay off the scale. (laughs) And what about you? uh, How's how's it going? Uh, It's getting better. I think yesterday was a a tough day. Uh, I managed to fall over on the track and... uh, but a few boulders. Yeah, but you came. You came, uh, you came to the finish line with uh, what looked like a, a few war wounds. Yeah, uh, it's a cracked nose, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Yeah, it's cracked nose and uh, a few bruises on, on the forehead. But uh, I think that's more down to I think it's actually the altitude because I think we were quite high yesterday, and it's the first time I've, I've ran at that sort of altitude. I think it's. 4,000 meters? 4,001. We were at uh, a peak called Pike Peak. Or in English, Pike's Peak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so um, what else can we can we tell the listeners? Um, yesterday was... Uh, what day would you say has been the hardest yet? I think actually yesterday was probably the hardest. Yeah? Yeah, I think today was actually more enjoyable. And I think people are getting into their race routines now. Yes, I think uh, yesterday was still quite novel, as in you weren't too sure what to expect. You didn't really have your routine sorted out. But now I think most people know the know the rigmarole when they get back, what to do. Refuel. Yeah, we've been four four nights in a tent. Yeah. So I did something uh, I normally don't do. I haven't done it in two or three years actually, which is to run with music. And uh, did it work? Obviously it did actually work. worked, yeah. So what I did was, um, I uh, since we're unpacking light, I brought my my iPod shuffle, 
and uh, you need to recharge. <laughs> I, th- I think I, I'll check. I'll check the battery. And uh, thanks, though. Um, what are you charging there? My uh, earphones. So. Oh, you have a wireless. Wireless ones because this is so much easier. Yeah. So yeah. Just give me a quick charge. Cool. So um, I plugged in my um, my iPod, iPod Shuffle and I hit play right off the start from yep. the, the yeah. And uh, I have uh, I think about forty tracks on the iPod Shuffle and two of them are uh, one of my favorite mixtapes and they are um, Jamie XX and a guy called Rusty. did their own uh, mix for BBC Radio 1's Essential okay. uh, mix. So uh, I really like those mixes. And the they, only thing I'd be careful, though, with uh, earphones or headphones, which happened to me today, I got lost. And thankfully, I'd only got about 50 metres off the track and somebody shouted to me saying, you're going the wrong way. So okay. if I was wearing well, earphones, I'd I'm, still be out there. I'm wearing uh, Apple's... Um, normal standard uh, leaky airphones oh, okay. so I hear everything around me that's Which I think uh, would be essential especially yeah. around here because there's so many things going on and I think it's from a safety perspective it's probably a good idea yeah so I and both of those uh, mixes are two hours long and so I thought okay I'll uh, I'll try to reach the finish line once the the second one is done <laughs> right that, that was my my goal <laughs> That's motivation for you. Yeah. Unfortunately, in my uh, my phone, I think my I got 123 hours of uh, music, <laughs> so I can't use the same. You got an altitude altitude uh, cough, or yeah. is it just? Uh, I think a bit of both, to be yeah. quite honest. But um, I don't think the altitude helps. But it's uh, just cough can't get rid of. But how do you find today then? What was, uh, your, what was your favorite bit? Today was just very warm or hot, yeah. I would say. Uh, I was sweating a lot. Um, I was uh, not filling enough water in the stations, I think. Yeah. I was rushing because uh, I was keeping number three behind me. And um, which his, his name is uh, Gerard, <laughs> not number three. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and, um, but it was more runnable today, right? I could actually run. That yeah. was different from yesterday, and because uh, I rolled my ankle the first day, and today I taped it up pretty good, and I felt like I had, I got into a running groove for the first time in three days. Yes, so, that as reminds me, yesterday, coming down from Pike's Peak, was <laughs> peaky most, peak, peaky peak, was probably the most technical course I've ever tried or ever seen. It was very very steep. Lots of quite jagged rocks. Uh, you had to be so careful where you where you put your feet. Slippery rocks as well. Yeah. Like when, when we got in, down to the forest, yeah, they uh, they were. Uh, it was quite humid, yeah. and they did not have a f- like a fundament. They were just rolling. Yeah, there's no foundations to the rocks, so you, 
you, you see a rock, you think, okay, fine, I'll try and plant my foot on that rock, and that rock suddenly gives way. And it's not too bad if it's, if it's for maybe 50 metres, but you're looking at sort of two, three kilometres of that sort of terrain, and it destroys your legs, absolutely destroys them. But I think yesterday's, again, talking to most of the other competitors, everybody found it very technical, uh, very difficult on the foot. And I think we, what surprised me here is how much running, it feels like you're running in the jungle almost. Yeah. A lot of water. That's going to change tomorrow or the day after okay. tomorrow, day five. Yeah. yeah, because it was a lot of time you're running through quite dense, sort of almost jungle-like uh, environments, uh, lots of trees, lots of shrubs, plants and stuff, very wet at times, which I, th- I found quite surprising. Speaking of jungle, mm-hmm. let's uh, let's talk about uh, what one of the the runners saw on the on the, on the trail yesterday. Uh, <coughs> uh, yeah, maybe you can tell the story. I don't know if you know anything about it. Do you know who saw it? I think I it actually was it. one of the crew. Yeah, um, the organizers, and maybe the medical sweeper or something. I think yeah. from what I can hear, they literally found a leopard. On the track, an it? actual leopard. Yes, was on the track. A bit of roadkill, maybe. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, but he was running, and uh, suddenly a leopard fell down from the mountain and onto the track, just like that. <laughs> it was like heart attack sort of uh, territory. So there's definitely some wild animals up here. But you know, it's unbelievable. Well, that, you don't see that every day. So that means there are actually leopards up here among us. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's lots of surprises. But saying that, I mean, again, going back to how, yeah, I think yesterday's course was just, I just found it very brutal. You know, it was uh, quite a long distance, but also, you know, I think for the professional runners, it was a very, very technical course. Yeah. I've done a lot of sky races and stuff, and um, lots of them are technical, which means it's hard to run and maybe a little bit dangerous. This was a different kind of technical where you really had to concentrate on every step not to step on the wrong rock. And it's different actually when you're wearing a backpack, which is like, in in my case, um, four and a half kilos with uh, water and stuff. Or maybe five kilos with uh, poles in the backpack. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's it's a different ball game. I would also, say. Did you find today? How did you find your backpack? Was it rubbing or hurting? Because today's mine started to rub. Yeah. Yesterday it rubbed. Um, today it's it didn't. Okay. Somehow, and today I portioned out the weight um, more evenly. I would mm-hmm. say I put. Because uh, I didn't run with poles, I put yep. them in my backpack. Okay. And because uh, I, I figured it would just be more runnable, uh, I don't want to have my poles in my my it, hands. It's funny. Sometimes poles are huge assistance. Sometimes they they get in the way. And yeah, a lot of downhill running, or a lot of people who I saw running, weren't using poles at all going downhill. Yeah. I mean, it was very much a case either they had them stashed in the backpacks or majority were just carrying them in their uh, hands but they were literally you can see the concentrations they're coming down um, I mean it's an art form coming down fast and very few of them had poles obviously going uphill completely different story we have the same backpack 
it's the ultimate direction 25 liters mm-hmm. right yeah um, not sponsored at all I bought the backpack you bought the backpack yeah I mean, uh, more uh, lots of people are wearing it it's not uh, I wouldn't say it's the majority but uh, lots of people a third of the people would say it's a mix between the, the mountain Saba's bags you see a few of those round the Osmond direction there's a couple of Salomon ones yeah uh, and it's the same thing it's a it's, you know it's a good bag you know, there's the things you could improve on it uh, but it does a job it, for me the most annoying thing is that I can't dash my poles while I'm running yeah and I can't reach the side pockets with my <laughs> with my arms yeah we're having a discussion that if we could redesign the bag which would be perfect for this sort of event one would be one that you could put your poles probably across your chest so they're easy to stash away when you need to and more accessible pockets because exactly the same thing you have two small pockets in the bag which are great for you know maybe a couple of gel bars and stuff and that's it i think uh, this bag is just for having like carrying lots of stuff while you're running and you can have two water bottles in the front yeah that's it there's nothing more and if you want something more you should wear a belt yeah right yeah it's it's i wear a uh one of the running tops that has uh areas like little packages or little sort of pockets at the bottom which is superb you can put as i said gels or anything you want in there because that's what's lacking in the backpack yeah so i think you know if ultimate direction are listening to this they need to redesign their bag <laughs> yeah yeah and they might actually listen to this so yeah. I mean, it's a great uh, bag but it, it it could be improved a lot more yeah uh, is there anything um, you've brought that you couldn't live without in camp like, or um, yeah well we, ha- we have the mandatory equipment list yeah. and then there's the personal um, items items that, that you brought I mean right? for me it's things like arm sleeves I think a vital physical the option that when it when it's cold in the morning and it is cold, um, you have the option of having those sleeves on there. It keeps you warm as the day heats up. You can get rid of the sleeves and suddenly you know you, you're running t-shirt and that's really nice. Um, other things around camp. Uh, I mean, for me personally, down trousers I, I found superb. Yeah, I feel the cold. And they were nice and snug and, and lovely. Um, so it, it's all about really layering, I'd yeah. say. Um, having... you, you also brought some uh, some down uh, slippers. Oh, yes. I, I I bought some uh, rab slippers, which are for me they're great. And I also bought I went to an, uh, a uh, outdoor shop and bought the thickest pair of socks I could find, and they are lovely. It's you know you come back to camp and it's just really nice to have something uh, soft and uh, uh, warm to put on. So for me, probably creature comforts, warm slippers, warm socks, and probably uh, sort of leggings as well. I didn't bring either uh, socks or down socks or uh, um, slippers. Um, what I've been doing when I come to camp, I uh, I wash off my uh, the dirt. Because we we have uh, we don't have showers, but we have some buckets of water. Yeah. I wash off the dirt. I put on a warm tights. Yep. Uh, with no boxer shorts underneath, and I walk around barefoot. Yep. And um, of course, I, I wouldn't do this if it was raining. But um, at the same time, now it's now that it's uh, warm, I can 
dry my dry my um, my running shoes and in the evenings I wore my normal socks or actually uh, down socks inside the shoes and um, if I'm cold I'll ask one of the um, the guys in the that are doing the the, the, the Sherpas to fill a bottle of hot water that I bring in my sleeping bag which will literally uh, a hot water bottle yeah yeah Works and that's the same yeah because uh, I have super cold feet and I think it's saved my life a couple of times so uh, that's my uh, my hot tip and also I have a uh, something called climb on which is made for climbers it's just a lump of fat I would say uh, climb on incredible skin care mini bar it's called um, which I just rub on my feet after when we get to camp to I don't know I don't know why but it, it just feels good also I have some uh, some lubrication if I need that um, of course normally I think the other popular choice around here is Gurney Goo as well okay which is very similar things like a, a Vaseline but it's also uh, antibiot- antibacterial as well yeah so that works quite well um, one thing I was surprised is yesterday and today how hot the sun is it's incredibly yeah, warm I mean, yeah. most people are, are sunburnt here because one is the altitude and secondly you're not expecting to be hot so um, I brought some suntan lotion or sun lotion or sunblock which I put on today otherwise I think most people's legs are, are pretty red right now yeah okay so we have three more days what do you think what do you think is going to happen? Ooh, or what do you expect and how do you feel? What, what today you... was the first day the feet started to take a big pounding. Um, I had to stop a couple of times and uh, take shoes and socks off and try and do some repairs on the trail. Up until now, my feet have been actually pretty good. Yeah, because we ran on some uh, some uh, steps. Yeah. The steps, steps the stairs, uh, how would you describe them? They... It was a combination of both the the distance and just the, I think, the decline of the steepness of the steps. It was horrendous. Um, according to the road book that you're given, which is basically the road map, uh, you're expecting a, a relatively small descent, but that small descent is probably about 350 metres, which doesn't sound too much, but I think that probably took me... 45 minutes at least okay and it, it just destroyed my feet the first descent was i think 800 meters the next one i think also was 800 meters or yeah, something th- like that. these were steps which were uh they're basically just rocky stones um you couldn't steps but it, at some stage you're probably 45 degree angle going down and it was never ending so it's both brutal from a a physical perspective and also from a mental perspective because you just couldn't see the end because you were running it literally down the side of uh, quite a wooded uh, sharp decline so you could only see perhaps maybe 50 yards or 100 yards in front and it was just never ending mm. Alright, should we uh, stop this recording Perfect. and um, pick it up uh, when we feel like it maybe tomorrow, maybe the day after or maybe at the finish line who knows, <laughs> who knows 
if we reach the finish line. <laughs> when we finish. All right, so where, where, where were we last time we recorded? We do end of stage two, wasn't it? So that would have been... No, stage three. Yeah, we did one after stage one, and then and we did not nice. do stage two, and then we recorded after stage three. So, yeah, so we've been stage... Yeah. Stage four, and f yeah, from four, four onwards. Okay, so we have a lot to talk about, yep. right? Uh, and nice. now we're actually we're actually done with the whole thing. We're back in Kathmandu. Um, we are in the Shankar Hotel. We have gotten a shower. Uh, we are clean and ready to podcast, and we survived the whole thing, right? Yeah, we discovered hot water, yeah. which is unbelievable. Hot water and clean towels. And we have another person here. And his name is Adam, right? Everybody, how's it going? And you need to turn off your phone, uh, mister. Um, you ready? No, no, you don't have to turn it off. Just just put it away. Okay. Um, let's, uh, let's do a recap, shall we? Uh, but before we do that, maybe we can get to know Adam. Who is, who is Adam? I'm... Uh the u.s person who did the race um the only only the only u.s yeah. um person did the race uh it's my first trail race and uh first multi-stage race so a lot of is first. it your first trail race yes yeah so you just started with this i did uh i guess you just go bigger go home <laughs> um outside of that i've been a runner basically most of my life but nothing as demanding as is running up mountains in the altitude. What made you sign up for this race? What made this race your virgin race? Um, I basically wanted to see Everest with my own eyes, and I didn't want to do the track that everybody else does. So I've been doing a lot of traveling and racing, um, doing Ironmans and things like that, and this kind of called to me. Once I like Googled it, I found out, oh, Everest trail race, so you could run for six days and it's a hundred and something miles. And I was like, well, that sounds like something right up my alley. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you, you've done some Ironmans. You've also done a lot of, uh, you've been in the military, right? You've done SEAL training. Um, how would you compare SEAL training with this race where you, you, you run for, let's say six hours, you eat, sleep, and you do the whole, the same thing again next, mor next morning? It's pretty much the same, right? Pretty much. I never made it all the way through training, um, but being through a month and a half a couple times, uh, it is pretty demanding, very similar. You're always cold, you're always wet. Um, in this case, you got warmer during the day. Um, never had to fight altitude, though. Mm -hmm. And still training is all at sea level. Where is, where is uh, seal training? It's in Coronado. That's where the first six months are. Where is that? Uh, California, okay. that part of San Diego. All right, so before we jump into the recap of stage four, five, and six, maybe you can talk about your experience in stage one, two, and three. Do you remember? Or is it kind of hazy, maybe? I remember stage one, I was trying to keep up with most of the Spanish guys. So I was uh, running as fast. Which like is everyone? Right? Pretty much everybody, yeah. <laughs> um, so I was trying to keep up with them running downhill. I fell in the mud a couple times. So I had a muddy shirt the rest of the race. Um, I had the rest of six days, I guess. 
uh, I thought I was doing pretty well, and then day two came, and we hit the altitude, and I think I came in dead last for men. <laughs> and uh, that that was a really punch in the gut, going to that altitude and just going up to the peak. Was that the only stage you were last, or...? Yes, that was the only stage I was dead last. Okay. Yeah. All right, so the experience from one to three, or uh, stage one to three, was um, was hard, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so from hard, did it get worse, or uh, for stage four, five, and six, or did it get easier? I would say stage four was was all right. Stage five is when my body started to hurt. Um, I noticed when I woke up this morning on the fifth day, uh, my foot was starting to swell. My other foot was slightly swollen, and I was like, oh, this is not going to be a good day. It's going to be hard to get warmed up and moving. But once you get on the you know track and get in the first like mile or so, things start to ease up a bit. Hmm. All right. Uh, Roland, let's, uh, let's pick it up where we left off last time. Yeah. Uh, maybe you can kickstart the whole thing. How how was your how was the rest of your race? Enjoyed it in places. Uh, stage four was, I think, what we expected. Um, I, I think a hard climb to begin with. Um, climbing is probably my strength. I'm very weak on the downhills. Climbing I can do. Uh, so that was sort of played to uh, one of my advantages. Day five, which was probably one of the longest stages. I think. That, that was the hardest stage, I would say, definitely. I think most people agree that was the hardest stage. And why was it hard? I think it was the altitude. There was a lot of uh, change in uh, ascent and descent. Um, it was just, I think it was. It played both on your mind and on your body at the same time. For, for people wondering, we can maybe describe where we actually ran. We started in uh, Pakting which is uh, maybe it's at 2006 meters above sea level. And then we ran up to Namche Bazaar uh, at 3,500 meters. Yeah. And then from there we ran up to Kumjung, um, which is at 3,008. And then from there we ran to Mongla. And we just continued uh, the ascent up to... 4,100 meters above sea level yeah. and then we ran down to Pangbocha and then from Pangbocha down to Tengbocha which is at 3,009 and that's where we had camp and slept so a very demanding stage I think it was 32 kilometers you have the uh, elevation plot there yeah I think it's don't forget the little scramble that we had to do too the... oh yeah remember that Roland yeah, there's uh, there's one pass on stage five, which was uh, for me personally my worst nightmare, which was f- basically a about a forty or fifty meter vertical ascent, probably a sixty or seventy degree angle. I think ascent, you're literally scrambling up the side of a sheer rock face, or it felt to me like a sheer rock face, which by itself is not too bad. But when you go about two hundred or three hundred meter drop below you it does tend to focus the mind a little bit uh, and I had a complete nervous breakdown thankfully uh, Adam kept his head and kept me going on that one so we got through that but for me that was um, a really nasty part of the day 
and then I think subsequent to that you then had it must be three or four kilometers maybe two or three miles of uh, very narrow pathway alongside the mountain again some spectacular scenery it is spectacular but when yeah, you got to see uh, Amma de Blom for the yeah. first time, right? Yeah. yeah. But I was more concentrating on not falling down the 200 meters sheer drop from the side either, <laughs> which again, as I said, sort of does focus the mind and perhaps takes a little bit of the uh, fun away from me of the uh, scenery. So it was punishing. I think it was physically punishing, but the where I found it difficult was the sheer level of concentration you need to, to keep keep on your feet without tripping and trying to find out where you're going. A lot of the paths as well were, um, you're going to visually see maybe 50 or 60 meters ahead of you, then you had to go around another corner, then another corner, then another corner. So you had no real point of uh, uh, view where you could say, yes, that's my end goal, two kilometers away, you just couldn't see anything. So you just didn't know where, where the finish line was and trying to work it out on the map without stumbling, without getting lost. Um, it, it, it became a, uh, you know, almost like a torture at some stages. So You uh, you shed a couple of tears. Oh, yeah. That? that vertical uh, sort of uh, rock climb, oh, I, was, I was not a happy chappy. Uh, <laughs> it was, yes, yeah, probably one of the lowest points on the, uh, uh, the whole trip. Um, what was frustrating was I think there was an option to perhaps take an easier route, uh, but I don't think that option was pointed out at the time. So I'm glad I did it, to be quite honest. The hard one? The hard one. Yeah. But given the option at the time, I think I would have enjoyed it more, taking perhaps a, a slightly different route. I know two of the girls, or three of the girls who also did the uh, route, I think they uh, had to be diverted, I think because of their running out of time. Uh, to complete the course and there was an emergency runoff uh, track or something um, which basically we ran uh, up a valley across the river and then back down the uh, opposite direction of the valley whereas the uh, emergency cutoff was literally down to the riverbed and up the other side uh, of the uh, uh, ravine so I mean I I can't describe how exhilarating the views were but also, it was a very, very tough day, and I think everybody found it tough. It's it's the best combination, right? You're you're physically like you're empty, absolutely, and you're surrounded by epic mountains. I think I the, the combination is is um, undescribable, right? I found it actually physically. I think most people could cope. For me, it was the mental side. It was just the continuous: when will this finish? When will the stage finish? Where am I going? And that became. I think the biggest battle as to you know when when will that stage finish because you just couldn't see you know every pathway every hill you went up there was another hill on top uh, every time you went around a corner there was another five six hundred yards until you you thought you got to the checkpoint and when you get there it's actually not the checkpoint it's another kilometre or two kilometres down the road so it just became uh, torturous any other uh, remarks, or um, uh, did you see any animals, any animal encounters? No leopards this Lots day, of yaks. right? Yeah. Lots of yaks. Lots of yaks, yeah. Um, once you got up on the mountain, there's there's nothing. I was just looking at Roland, and I was trying to follow, keep up. With him. You ran together? For a large part. Yeah, for yeah. a large part, yeah. 
now just trying to keep up um didn't see much animals out there just just a lot of false uh tops yeah, just <laughs> a lot of demons yeah yeah there, i think there were a few yaks and things we didn't really encounter any sort of yak trains or mule trains but there were quite a lot of animals I saw quite a few sort of mountain i think the mountain goats um, but nothing that really was uh, nothing that became an obstacle uh, as such what was it like to sleep and recover after that stage we still have one more day right so yeah. uh, you were physically exhausted and now you're supposed to recover at almost 4000 meters above sea level um, and do the same thing the next day mm-hmm. How did you sleep? How did you deal with the whole thing? Um, describe. Describe it. Uh, my sleep wasn't that great. Um, you had a great view from from your room, right? I did. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, right outside my window was the majestic Everest and the surrounding mountains. This this thing you've been dreaming about. The reason you signed up. Right? The reason I signed up, and somehow I got the room that had the greatest view. I was able to sit there and like watch the sunset. Mm over the mountain and that kind of I don't know put like a recharge on my body um but when it comes to sleeping like of course I had my San Miguel trying to help me to (laughs) take my nap um but the lady next door to us um just had some altitude problems and she was coughing pretty much the entire night so trying to get any sleep was pretty much impossible maybe like 45 minutes here or there but that's about it and you rolling I, f- I found it actually not too bad. I think two reasons. One, I was physically exhausted. Secondly, I think the lodge itself is a quite a nice lodge. Yeah, we, we have to say that um, we only slept four nights in tents. The last two we had, we were in lodges. Correct, yeah. So um, this night was in a lodge. And the the place we were at was it's called uh, Tengboche, and it has a huge Buddhist monastery. And it's on a plateau, and it's, it, it's pretty cool. We didn't actually check check it out because we were so exhausted. But um, the scenery is is amazing. You have Amudablam, yeah. you have Lutze, you have Mount Everest. It's, it's insane, right? And you also get the the view down to um, like all the like the balcony trail all the way down to Namche Bazaar. It's uh, it's amazing. Um, yeah, it was it's incredible. It's the first night that I think it was actually properly cold as well. Uh, I think we were quite surprised. I think we were talking earlier on that the whole week hasn't been as cold as we expected it to be. I think that night though was was chilly. Um, but we had good food. Um, I think everybody was in the same boat. Everybody was just exhausted. But also I think everybody was up for the challenge that there's only one more day left to go. So I think people were becoming now focused on just concentrating on that final day and the final day was all downhill right so yeah. mentally it was pretty easy to well, that's out beforehand I mean sometimes you look in the map and it looks straightforward and then when you actually get to run the trails it's completely different so um, I had a few trepidations about what that day what the final day would consist of because again on the map it looks relatively straightforward but you, until you're actually on the trail you just don't know also, if it's straightforward and you're at 4,000 meters above sea level, it's still pretty hard, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Were you able to run at 4,000 meters? Or was it more like a shuffle? 
the classic ultra shuffle? I started out with the shuffle because my feet were all swollen and I was in a lot of pain. Um, but I took some painkillers and I think they kind of like started working about 15, 20 minutes into it and I started to warm up. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was just trying to just go as fast as I could. This is like the last day. Just whatever you got, push yeah. it. Yeah. So that's what I was doing. It was painful, but but running at 4,000 meters uh, it didn't seem to bother me. It's only climbing up to the 4,000 right. that right. bothered me. Yeah. So. What about you, Roland? I think the, the main difference I found or the main effects of the altitude was headaches. I got headaches, I think, quite a lot at the altitude. Also, feeling quite dehydrated. So it's making sure you drank a lot. Um, but from a performance perspective, I didn't... I, I, I don't know if that's... If there's a perception or not, I didn't notice any big difference in performance. You did feel a little more out of breath, but if you're running 20, 30 kilometers a day, you'll you, you feel out of breath anyway. But for me, it was definitely uh, headaches. I think that's, uh, I think it was a big difference. Now, what was it like? You had, let's say you had five kilometers left of the whole race. Mm-hmm. What was going through your minds? Um, and were you just thinking, uh, let's get to the finish line, or, or were you trying to digest the whole week? What try and describe the feeling across the finish line? <coughs> I just knew coming close to the finish line that there's going to be a hill, yeah, and it's gonna suck. <laughs> yeah, and so I was I was not looking forward to it. And then I think me and Roland were running together at one point, and I was just like, I know you're you're really awesome at hills. Take it, go for it. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and get there as fast as I can. But me and Hills, especially after you know a hundred and something miles, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be running up those very fast. And then coming up to that finish line, I didn't even know I was coming up to the finish line. I was just coming around up the top of the hill, turn the corner, and then like right there, it was just like the finish, and right. it was like almost shocking. Like I didn't almost know anticlimactic, right? right? Yeah. Because normally, like a race, you come to the finish line, you can see it, and you just gun for it. And this, like, it's at the very top. Like, yeah. you it's don't up the stairs around the corner, and then you're there, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So it's was, it was almost unreal, and it didn't even feel like you were done. But like, you had to run some more. <laughs> <laughs> what What about um, uh, the hanging bridges and the yuck trains? Were you? Did you have any uh, incidents that's worth talking about? Because because I did. Uh, I, the last day I was, uh, I had a goal where I, I knew that taking the, the second overall, um, would be very difficult. So my, I just wanted to see how fast I could do the course because the third, the, the third place was, uh, within reach. So I knew I, I could just, if I just ran pretty steady, like the same pace I'd be doing every day, I would get third place. Um. So I just wanted to see how fast I could go, and I tried to go uh, sub three hours, and uh, and uh, fr- from Tengboche to to Lukla, and uh, um, I had th- I was super unlucky with the the yaks and uh, on the bridges, because let's try and describe this um, to the listeners, because uh, if you see a train of yaks coming, or you're better in English, uh, <laughs> Adam. Maybe you can describe the 
the strategic uh, decision when you see a yacht train coming and you're at the other side of the bridge? Sure. What was so, going through your mind? <laughs> we we had this exact encounter. Um, Roland and I we were at the the um, the lodge where we were on the fifth yeah. day. We we're making that crossing in, in Pukting. Yeah. 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 And we're coming up to it, and I saw a few yaks just coming up and then like more and more and more on the other side on the other side and and basically if they start coming down you know that bridge you can't cross until they're they're all the way through Mm. and that's going to set you back 5 10 15 minutes depending on how fast they are so i look at roland i'm like let's go (laughs) and that's probably the fastest i ran that entire Carl lewis in the first hundred meters on that one yeah that was i was sprinting i was like there's no way like i'm not i'm not waiting I'm not gonna yeah. cramp up just because I have to wait for these yaks, and we made it. Yeah, just. luckily, yeah, we just made it by 30 seconds of spare, if that. I, I think stage five. Well, sorry, last stage, stage six. One of the things, yes, it was downhill, but the other thing I noticed is very touristy as well. The last stage, and lots and lots of yak trains, mule trains, and. Uh, if they're coming down in front of you, you get out of the way. You, know, there's no, <laughs> you can't barge your way through. You, uh, on the bridge, right? On the bridge, yeah, or yeah. coming down the track. I mean, there's no. They're, they're coming down whether you're there or not. Well, yeah. uh, they got those horns. Those, those yeah, things, but uh, but but the, the winner, <laughs> the winner, then that police guy, uh, he he actually he was pushing them over. <laughs> So so I I started yeah yeah way braver than me. So I I saw what it was doing and I tried to do the same thing on stage six. Yeah, and I actually passed a couple of yaks on the bridge and I started like taking more ownership of the of the trail and pushing the yaks over and the mules and stuff. So that was fun and I think <laughs> <laughs> but actually uh, on I had three encounters or or three incidents on on the bridges where I had to wait and. Uh, Miguel and uh, Gerard, number three and four, uh, they caught me. And so I had to sprint to get the, the lead again. And two more times it happened again, right? Yeah. And eventually I got, I got, I think they were four or five minutes behind me at the, at the finish line, but it really sucked. So if anyone's going to do the Everest Trail Race, um, if you are maybe let's say 10 minutes behind some crucial position uh, before the last stage just go for it because there are so many variables uh, anything can happen and a yuck train can ruin something for your competitors and uh, yeah it's like a jackpot the the bridges are are jackpots anything can happen one thing that I was feeling is like as soon as I would cross that bridge and I know that yak train is there, like if I knew someone was following me, like I just got like ten minutes, like lead time. <laughs> yeah, and I was thinking this is like Donkey Kong, or you're you're hitting some or like Super Absolutely. Mario. It's like you're getting the the star. Yeah. You know, you get superpower for thirty seconds, or <laughs> <laughs> you get this buffer time. It's like a video game. <laughs> it's, it's not far off. I mean, there are so many variables. That's the thing. It's like any trail running. It is so easy to lose your footing, you know, roll, roll an ankle, fall over, do anything. Anything can happen. And until you finish that, you know, cross that line, everything's open. So I think that's one thing you've got to remember. Always push for it because you don't know what will happen to you or to anybody else. Mm. So this is a case of trying to keep focused. I mean, the last day for me was definitely the best day. Really enjoyed it. Um, spent a lot of time running with Adam. That was really good fun. I think 
we were both pushing each other in a nice way. Mm. Um, the weather was great. The track was, for once, I think, very runnable. Yep. Um, and you had great support also from a lot of the people walking up to Everest Base Camp and the tourists. Yeah, track. the tourists, they really they enjoyed really, uh, yeah. watching. Yeah. yeah, cheering everybody on. It became, you know, almost like running a road race. Uh, and you know, it, for me, great way to finish the event. Absolutely superb. Um, but, you know, the ETR does have that sort of way of sort of, you know, pushing things, crossing that finishing line. You're right. You didn't know it was a finishing line until about 20 yards before you crossed it. You had to look up the hill, and then you could only see it maybe 30 or 40 yards before you got to the crest of the hill. And literally, when you got up there, you maybe have a, a lead in of 30 yards, 30 meters to the line. You just don't know what to think. You don't know. You're happy. You're sad it's over. You're glad it's over. Yeah. You're relieved it's over. You want to come back straight away. You never want to go running it at any time. It's every single emotion going through your head. I remember thinking at the last stage, will I cry when I reach the finish line? Because I never cried yeah. in a race. And I thought, this is the most like, physically demanding thing I've ever done. And a third place will be a big achievement. Will it be enough to make me cry? And so I reached the finish line. I got the, the stuff around my neck and everything. Everyone cheered and I just took like 10 seconds and I felt nothing I couldn't even think I was just completely empty and after those uh, 10 seconds I just started laughing that was my response <sighs> did you guys cry? no again it's lots of mixed emotions I was relieved it was over proud that I actually completed it because there were stage well, stage five I had real concerns whether I'd be able to get through it and it's so many emotions all rolled into one you don't know what to do um, I mean the organisation was great it was nice staying on the finishing line seeing other people cross as well because sometimes you get more emotional about those people crossing than mm. yourself because you got a little bit of time to sort of calm down and reflect and then just watching everybody's you know, facial ex expressions as they come across the line, you know, from relief to happiness to absolutely everything. That yeah, we've been racing with these guys for six days. Yeah. We know what everyone's been through. We, uh, it's, it's, it's quite the um, intimate event, right? It's every evening we're having meals, we're in camp together, and we know how much some people have really struggled. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's been really cool. How would you describe the camaraderie? Um, I think there's kind of like cliques because mm. obviously you have the, the Spanish speaking people and then there's everybody else that speaks basically mm. English. And so I think we just kind of like grouped together amongst ourselves that spoke English and we know kind of like little bits and pieces about each other. I mean, we're sharing tents with some people um, or we're right next door to other people. But yeah, for breakfast and uh, and dinner, like we're right there next to each other. We know what each other's are going through. We can see like, oh, altitude's really affecting you. And like, maybe tell somebody they should drink some more water or try and cram some food in if they can. Um, but it's just you felt kind of like a team almost, yeah. like yeah. a small group of English-speaking team people. <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think it's the overall event was quite intimate. This is probably about forty runners, I think, this year, give or take. 
um, and the vast majority were Spanish or Spanish speaking so you, you did tend to split between or a Catalan or Catalan more importantly you know Catalan <coughs> I think once you're actually out on the trail and sometimes you buddy up with people for a couple of sort of kilometres then you get to break down a little more of the barriers um, so I was running with I think a a couple from uh, Barcelona for a few kilometres and had a few, you know some chats with them and you know really nice I think over the dinners you do tend to split into your own little sort of groups again but you know, it's not a bad thing um, but for me I think one of the nice things about the event was it was an intimate event so you, you did know everybody you, you could say hello to everybody um, everybody was very polite very nice there's no uh, awkwardness uh, yeah and there was also uh, one group that ran started at seven o'clock and the faster group started at eight so everyone actually ran together at some point yeah. the faster guys uh, they passed the slower guys yeah. on the trails it wasn't just like the, the start the, the starting gun went off and we what was nice yeah. I was uh, in the slower group and as, as the leads come through they're really great because they're shouting encouragement at us as part of the slower group and you know our automatic uh, response is you shout encouragement to them at the same time so again it was it was a huge contrast in abilities from you know running royalty through to people who are just doing it as a you know as a hobby or whatever but I think it's a shared passion and that shared passion I think came out through the whole event you know the people who were semi-professional or prof- professional were just as caring about the people who you know do it as a a weekend hobby and you know that's what I enjoyed about it how would you compare this uh, with the, the military um, just do the job don't think just run yeah that's basically the, oh, the military is kind of like that um, but you do have the camaraderie is like you're, you're all in the same boat you're all on the same team you're going through the same pain like yeah you might be an elite athlete but you're still feeling like the hill and like you're still gonna you know hurt a little bit tomorrow um and so sometimes it, it feels good to know that other people are also human mm. and know that they you know they do have their pains um but just seeing everybody go through the same thing i don't know you just you get a certain kind of like respect towards one another whether you're in a slow group fast group um everybody always shout encouragement and like i remember on stage two i think it was Fr- francois is that his name yeah he always looked over at me and he's just like step by step step by step and i was like all right step by step and that stayed with me the entire race like every time i was going up a mountain i was like all right step by step step by step and so did you ever watch the the sitcom step by step i don't this is the first time i'm hearing about it Never mind. <laughs> I mean, the other thing as well, which I always found quite amazing, quite funny, is dinner and breakfast, how much food you can get through. I mean, obviously, you're doing a lot of exercise during the day, but uh, I mean, I don't think I've ate so much in my life. I mean, it was literally yeah. constant eating, constant refueling. I, I was disgusted by myself <laughs> every single day. I, I just couldn't wait until this was over. Like, uh, of course, I was enjoying everything, but um, uh, the food thing. Yeah, I was amazed of how much food I could get down. I didn't count any calories. I just 
I just figured I, I have to get down as much as I can. Yeah, and now it's over, and now we can get back to old habits. <laughs> stop eating, that'd be fine. <laughs> yeah, I don't, don't think my body's uh, switched off yet. It's still like expecting me to like go do something today. Do you do you think your body uh, wants you to eat, uh, keep eating calories? Do you think our bodies need it still, or or do you think we can just bounce back to the normal calorie needs and? Or do you think? I think, I think you need to step down. I think stage by stage. I, I still got some massive hunger pains. Twenty-four hunger pains. Yeah, well, as if hungry. Okay. Uh, oh. But yeah, no. But I think you know, it's a case of, sort of winding it down. So, you know, I need to make sure that I'm not eating sort of, you know, four thousand calories a day for the next sort of, two weeks or so. Just trying to step it down to back to a normal diet. Um, I think from a exercise perspective. Uh, it's strange my body feels tired but it doesn't feel exhausted which I, which is a surprise for me that, that's the dangerous part because then you start training again tomorrow maybe and then you get injured right yeah. because you are you are exhausted yeah you're I just used to pushing every single day and not listening to your body I think yeah, so yeah. I think it's, again it's trying to get back to a different routine because I think you, we slipped now into a routine which is you know, ignore all feelings you have and just push through yep it's just yeah basically just all you want to do is get up in the morning you know you've got to do go through in your case maybe three hours of pain in our case probably six seven hours of pain and then go to bed wake up and start again now it's getting back to trying to get back to a normal life um, and I mean for me it's you know, to take a couple of weeks off two or three weeks off and to do absolutely nothing which if you've been training for an event like this which most people have been training for six months plus to do that I think it's, it's, it's going to be quite weird so but I'm sure like I can uh, addiction withdrawal syndromes absolutely right. Yeah. right and I've been through something similar like with the Ironman trainings like you you ramp up you're doing this for six months twelve months and then you have your big day in this case your six big days and your body just is in that mode of like feed me feed me feed me mm-hmm. and with the, the Ironmans, like, I had to taper off. Like, I switched to, like, eating a boatload of salads just to keep my stomach full and then eating, like, you know, other proteins and things like that that be uh, trying to keep my calorie count down. But it was very difficult, and then I ended up just rolling into another race because I couldn't deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> this is addiction. Uh, hopefully, I will be able to um, do a, a podcast with uh, an addiction, um, uh, what would you call it, expert, uh, the next week actually here in Kathmandu that will be very interesting because um, I'm going to link running and especially ultra running and ultra running people to to uh, just to addicts in general and I think we have a lot of <laughs> a lot in common yes. but it's it's a bit healthier than heroin but it's still an addiction absolutely I think yeah I think it's, it's a healthy addiction uh but it's like anything, you, you got to keep an eye on it to make sure it, it's part of your life but doesn't take over your life. Yeah. Tame, tame the beast. Right? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so we um, uh, we have uh, two more days in Kathmandu. Today is more like a traveling day. We just got back from uh, Lukla. Uh, one hour plane, crazy plane, uh, and, and seven hours on the bus. Uh, and tomorrow is the prize ceremony and dinner. Mm-hmm. And then you're back, uh, or you're off to vacation, Adam. Yep. Um, 
yeah that's it yep and back to normality and uh, I've got a funny thing we'll probably all end up together in the next couple of years somewhere somewhere on the globe doing something stupid again and like I remember on stage two I think it was Francois is that his name yeah he always looked over at me and he's just like step by step step by step and I was like alright step by step and that stayed with me the entire race like every time I was going up a mountain I was like alright step by step step by step (laughs) 